Morning everyone. Really good to see you this morning. Let's just pray as we look at this passage. Loving Father, please would you open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your word. And by your Holy Spirit, melt our hearts and mould our wills that we might live in humble obedience to all that we read. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. What can you see? What can you see? Well, that's a question we've been asking quite a lot in our house over the last month. Uh, Frank got a new pair of very, very focals the other day, but it became soon very obvious things weren't quite right. She kept squinting. I can't see properly. And then Barney, our dear little border terrier, sadly had seizures. We've discovered an underlying tumour and it appears he's gone pretty blind. When he's inside, he keeps bumping into things, going down uh, cul-de-sacs. I'll tell you, trying to find out from a dog, what can you see is pretty tricky. But what can you see... It's the question posed here in this encounter of Jesus, his disciples, the crowds, including Pharisees and this blind man. What can you see? Let's see, what can the disciples see? It's interesting. You see, the minute they see this blind man, there is a problem to be solved. A man born blind raises a problem and a question. Whose fault is it that this man is born blind? Verse two. That's not an unusual way of thinking back in Jesus's day, it was part of Jewish thinking, something that the Bible often wrestled with and at times challenged. This kind of binary presumption. If life is going well, I must be in favour with God. But if I'm going through a difficult time, somehow that's a punishment for God, from God for something I've done. Do you remember the story of Job, whose friends, rather misnamed ironically as comforters, come along to a man who's lost everything, his family, his livelihood, his health. And chapter after chapter, their basic message to Job is this. Your suffering must be your fault. You must have done something to deserve this. You need to work out what it is and say sorry to God, and then it will be resolved. You see, the disciples see a man born blind, and their immediate question is, who to blame? When bad stuff happens, who's at fault? And it's laughable, really, when you read their words. Was it him or his parents who sinned that he was born blind? I mean, how can he have sinned if he was blind from birth? He's sinned in the womb. There's no logic to their arguments. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It just must be someone's fault. They need someone to blame. And that happens today. Dare I say, the President of the United States blames the pandemic all on China. And yet blame is... And fault is hardwired into all of us. How often when someone gets a serious illness or experiences tragedy, do we hear people say, oh, it seems so unfair, they don't deserve this, as if somehow this has been meted out on them on purpose. I feel like I'm being punished, people will say. And let me be honest with you, when Bishop Peter, where this week he's had a bone marrow transplant to treat acute myeloid leukaemia, after weeks of horrendous chemotherapy. But I found it really hard when he was diagnosed, when he told us earlier in the year. Why? Well, for the last two years, he's been the safeguarding lead bishop for the Church of England. And for that whole two years, he was a lightning rod for all that anger, the rightful anger of many victims of clergy abuse over decades. And during those two years, I know that Peter had to meet with survivors week in, week out, travelling the country, listening to their deep pain and listening to the uh, pain and the sorrow and the hurt 
of pain that had been inflicted not by him but of other clergy and yet he had to represent us as a church and week in week out month in month out year in year out i watched it take its toll on peter and then in march he was able to let go of that role and within weeks just as he had the opportunity Again, a time with family, had two grandchildren on the way, probably beginning to dream about retirement in a few years' time, he gets this diagnosis. And I just thought, that seems so unfair. After all he's done, give the man a break. Well, the disciples' reaction is the reaction that's innate in all of us. When we see people suffer, when we hear terrible stories, who can I blame? And it's interesting that it's often God who gets the blame. The boxer Ray Moon, uh, sorry, Ray Boom Mancini had just killed a Korean opponent with a hard right in a boxing ring. And at the press conference, he said, sometimes I wonder why God does the things he does. Really? No, but people easily conclude that in the face of suffering and disability, God at best is an inactive, inactive in the world, callously standing by and worse, playing cruel games that and it begs the question, what do you see in a suffering world? How do you react? Well, firstly, what does Jesus see? First, he sees the blind man. Why do I point that out in verse 1, that he sees him? Well, you see, this man born blind probably has not been noticed by many for a long time. He's uh, got no job, no social security, no disability allowance. He's been on the streets begging since he was very young, since birth. Probably he was such a common sight, people stopped seeing him. It's interesting, when you read that he got healed, some great discussion happens in the crowd. Is this that blind man or isn't it? We're not sure, we can't quite tell. What did he look like? So I think they just stopped looking at him. There are probably people on the streets of Bath that you have walked past umpteen times. Could you remember what they looked like? I don't think they'd ever look carefully at this man. And yet now Jesus stops. I think the only reason why the disciples ask questions about him, I don't think they'd have done it unless Jesus had stopped to look at this man. Jesus noticed. It raises the question, how do we treat those with disability? I know that those who use wheelchairs often say they feel invisible in a crowd. People talk over them. I know in church, from my own experience, that uh, those who have learning difficulties or uh, make involuntary noises and movements, others feel very awkward, keep a distance, avoid, not sure what to do. I remember in Oxford talking to a youth group about homelessness, which is a massive problem there. What do we do? Do we give people money or do we, rather embarrassed, walk on? And a homeless charity representative said to us, yeah, don't give money to them directly or go to drink and drugs, but treat them as human beings. Speak to them. Say, no, I'm sorry, I can't give to you. But, you know, acknowledge them, smile at them. But Jesus wants to go further. He doesn't want to see them just as human beings, but he here wants to see them as people in whom the purposes of God can be lived out. This is a sensitive issue, I know. But I was really struck by a campaign that TV actress Sally Phillips, who's a Christian, who has a son, Ollie, who has Down syndrome, a campaign she's been involved in called Don't Screen Me Out. It relates to the fact that obviously there is a movement to screen out uh, genetically uh, before children uh, grow in the womb, those who may have genetic deformities. She's saying, well, hang on, what is that saying about people with Down syndrome that actually want to screen them out, 
not have them in society anymore. Is that saying that they have no value, no worth, no purpose in life? I remember a little man called Charlie and a friend, both in their 60s, both with severe learning difficulties, came to our church. They made lots of strange noises. When they sang, you couldn't make out what they were singing, but it was it was a racket, but they loved it. We learned so much through them. Their simple love and faith and trust in God, their love for the church, their love for worship. Do we see those who society describes as different, differently abled, differently wired, as people in whom the purpose of God can be displayed and brought about? You see, Jesus here doesn't see the cause He sees the potential. He doesn't see the problem. He sees the purposes of God. Verse 3 and 4. Neither this man nor this parent sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. This man born blind is someone in whom the purposes and glory of God can be displayed in extraordinary ways. Here it comes through healing. He sends the man off with spit and mud in his eye to wash in a pool and he's miraculously healed. You see, the glory of God is displayed in Jesus Christ. You know, John's Gospel tells us exactly why this miracle is recorded. It says right at the end, these miracles are there that you may know that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you may have life in his name. See, this man's life has immense value. Why? Because the purposes and the plans and the power of Jesus are demonstrated in him and through him so that we might all see that Jesus is a life transformer. Jesus is the light of the world. You see, this is our hope that when Jesus comes into any life, no matter who it is, no matter what their background, no matter what their disability The power of God can be displayed in and through them, through Jesus Christ. But you may say, well, it's fine for the blind man. He's healed. What about those whose disability, the suffering, the struggles, God doesn't heal? Would you remember 2 Corinthians 12? Paul, we're told, was experiencing suffering. We're not sure what. He had a thorn in the flesh. And he prays over and over again that God would heal him and take him away. But God doesn't do that. And Paul hears God say clearly to him, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're weak, I'm strong. God says to Paul, I'm going to display my power in you and through you, not by healing you, but by sustaining you by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, healing displays the glory of God in John 9, but sustaining grace in the face of suffering displays the glory of God in 2 Corinthians 12. See, that's the key at this heart of this passage. When you look at a world of suffering and despair and blame and people who say this is just unfair, a world where there's no more hope. Do you see it that way or do you see something different through Jesus Christ, through the power that Jesus can bring in people's lives? Do you see that there is hope, that there is potential, that there is purpose, even in the most difficult situations? God can still be working his purposes out. And if you struggle to see it, can I send you to the cross? What do you see when you look at the cross? You see, many in our world will look at the cross and see just a man and a tragedy. A man who spoke such wonderful words in his life, yet now beaten, mocked, aged 33, his life brought to a cruel end. And they'll say that death is useless. The Bible says, some look at it and say, it's foolishness, the cross. 
But the Bible also says, but for those with the eye of faith, for those who really see who Jesus is and what he can do, we see that that cross is the power of God for salvation. That through that death on the cross, God can bring about extraordinary things. He can transform the darkest, darkest experience and bring about his purposes and his hope and his light. Even in the worst suffering. You see, when you have that eye of faith, when you see the potential that Jesus has to bring, the light that Jesus can bring into dark places, it transforms how we look at even our own lives and the struggles. Do you remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What do you see? What do you see when you look through the eyes of Jesus and through the potential that Jesus brings? I hope you see hope. I hope you see possibility. I hope you see purpose. Amen.